And so, so today we're going to jump in a little bit into this new series, and it's called uh, Breaking Free. And today, like I said, I want to deal with overcoming sexual strongholds in our life. I want to share something with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. This is the series verse, really. It's kind of the impetus for everything that, that comes from this series. I'll just read it to you, starting in verse 3. Listen, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says it this way. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. He said the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The weapons of the world are guns and bombs and things like that. He goes on to say, on the contrary, they have divine power. Now listen to that. Divine power. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's a power that has the ability to affect change on a level that you in your own strength can't do. That's what it's saying. It's divine. And so he says, I have divine power to demolish, say it with me, strongholds strongholds. Now, you may be asking, what is a stronghold? Well, I'll define it for you. It's basically a prison that someone is locked in that is predicated on deception. It's a deception. It's something that we live our life by that isn't true. It's a lie. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and be like, hey, uh, I'm really glad I based my life on a lie. I mean, who wants that? Who wants to get to the end of their life and say that? Nobody. And so one of the things we have to make sure is that we're building our life on something that's true. And the thing I know is that God's word is true. Listen to this. It says that we, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought. Look at that. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Do you get that? Like we all have thoughts. Some of us have more thoughts than others. You guys with me? All right. I'm just saying. I just know it's true. Some of us have thoughts. We all have thoughts and they run through our heads constantly, right? The Bible says that we're somehow supposed to take hold of those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ under God's word. And so whatever thought I have that's outside of God's word, that's outside of the authority of Christ, that I'm supposed to take this divine power, grab hold of it, and put it under that authority. You see that? That's what the scripture is trying to help us to see. And I know for me, that's not easy, is it? Is it easy for you to govern your thoughts? It's not easy. Sometimes our thoughts, they run away. They get on a train and they're just like, Whoosh, you know? And, and, and we can't always, we see in our own power, sometimes these thoughts, they go too far. But the Bible says that you have power. You have power to overcome. You have power to overcome the strongholds in your life. And so here's, here's kind of a simple definition. Anything that won't let go of you. How about that? Anything in your life that won't let go of you is what the Bible describes as a stronghold. And that's something that sets kind of the table for what we're going to talk about today. Because I believe 100% that our church, our lives, believers, 
people that are not believers, just humans in general, are under an assault around this area of sex and sexuality at such a level that, that it sometimes can be staggering to know what to do. Now, here's part of the problem I've figured out, is that the church has not done always a good job in this space. You know what I'm talking about? Is that sometimes we just... The truth is, guys, sex seems to make us uncomfortable. I know. The fact that I'm even saying the word sex is making some of you uncomfortable right now. I can see you sweating. And so, so we get uncomfortable by this topic, and so the church tries to then come in and civilize it and make it palatable and, you know, cover it up and, hey, don't talk about that here. You can go over there in the corner, you know, where it's really dark and no one else is over there. And you can have that conversation with somebody, you know, because you're kind of messed up. You know what I mean? You're just kind of messed up. And, and I think the church hasn't always allowed space for something that God created. We... We take something that God created and we make it dirty, we make it ugly, we make it bad, and we say, hey, save it for the ones you love. Does that make any sense? God is the creator of it. He made it for our pleasure. God is for it. He likes it. He, he wants you to have it. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Like, he wants you not just to appropriate. He wants you to enjoy it. Pleasure. Come on. Some of you people should be clapping right now. That's good news. And so we have to normalize this conversation if we're ever going to make a difference. Because I can tell you this. If we don't talk about it, the world will. And there are all kinds of things that are coming across the, the, the news feeds. There's all kinds of things that are being taught in, taught in school and all kinds of things that are being taught in homes. And, 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 and the truth is, is we just, we need to understand that God has something to say about it. And if we ever want to understand what sexuality is and sex in general is and how to break these strongholds, we've got to ask God about it. We've got to ask him because I believe 100% that he knows a way. But here's the problem. We kind of mess it up sometimes. I, I don't know if you know that. It, it, isn't it true that, that we take things sometimes that are intended to be beautiful, and we twist it, and we contort it, and we do it outside of God's plan and God's parameters, and we wonder why at the end of the day it looks messed up. And I think it's because sometimes we think we know better. And I can't, I tell you, friends, that is the height of hubris. That is the height of human arrogance to think that we know better than God, the one that made it, the one that, that made it happen, the originator, if you will, is the one that we should look to to help us define it. Don't you agree? I mean, it seems, seems logical to me. But listen to this. Paul in, in Romans chapter 1. Paul is writing to the church at, at Rome, and, and they've got some issues, you know, because every church seems to have some issues. And, but he's really trying to zero in on a particular issue that he wants them to hear about. Listen to what he says. Listen. He says in verse 21, chapter 1 of Romans, he says, they knew God. Let me stop there. 
He's talking to believers. Get this. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He's talking to believers that have taken something that was supposed to be like this, and they've done something else with it. That's what's happening. He starts and says, they knew God. But then watch this. He, 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 it's the big but. The big but in scripture. Here it is. It, it creates a contrast to what he just said. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. These were people that believed in God. And he said they wouldn't even worship him and give him thanks. Something was off. Something was wrong. And he said, he said, you won't even worship. See, worship isn't just about singing. I love to sing. Wasn't that good singing? It was fun. It, was, it, it gives you joy to sing. But see, worship literally means to bow. That's what it means. To bow. In other words, not my will be done, but yours. If God, you said this is how it's supposed to go down, my job is to say, yep, that's how we're going to do it. Not come up with all kinds of fangled and new revelations and, hey, I was studying this word and I found something new and different and I want to share it with all of you. Everybody okay with that? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, I want some of that. Because why? Because it lets us off the hook. We love new revelation. We love new things that are out there that somehow let us off the hook. See, God's not fooled by that stuff. I just say this. I have a real hard time believing in ideas, truths, philosophies, whatever you want to come up with that originated in the 20th century. I'm just saying. Isn't it funny how we think we're just getting smarter? But yet the scripture's been around a long time. 2,000 years, more. It's been saying this stuff forever. And saying this is how it's supposed to go, guys. And if you do it this way, it's going to be good. If you do it that way, not so bad. But then watch this. He says, and they began to think up, look at this. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Did, you, did, did I already tell you they knew God? They knew God, but they were trying to come up with foolish ways. They were trying to come up with newfangled ways, new ideas, new revelation. And God was like, what? And through Paul, he's trying to confront this. And he says, as a result, as a result of this doing this, of them doing this, he says, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. When we don't do it the way God has laid out for it to be done, we will become dark and confused. And God doesn't want that. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Note to self, when the Bible calls you a fool, that's not good. There's wise, fool, and evil. Those are the categories. And when God calls you a fool, that's not good. So he says they became utter fools. Not just fools, but utter fools. They're like cow fools. I just seen if you guys were listening. That was a cheap joke. Come on now. That's like a dad joke, ain't it? Help him, Lord. As a result, look at this. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And then look at this. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They knew the truth. They knew the truth. And they decided to twist it, change it, tweak it, 
into something that was a lie. And then they were somehow going to build their life on it. And Paul's like, are you guys fools? Church? People of God? Come on. And now here's the thing. I'm not here to pick on you. Because I know, I mean, this is a tough message. I'm not here to pick on you. Because wherever you've sinned, whatever you've done, wherever you've screwed up in, in this area or some other area, I'm not here to judge that. But I am here to say this. As your pastor, one of the things that matters to me is that I share the truth with you because I love you. And the thing that I know about sexual sin, sin that's outside of God parameter, God's parameters, is it systematically hollows out our soul over time. Systematically hollows out our hearts and our soul over time. And here's the thing. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want you to come to me in 10 years and say, man, I've been systematically hollowed out by this. Because, my friends, that's what's on the other side of not doing it God's way when it comes to our sexuality and our sex. Does that make sense? And I just want you to hear my heart because that's why I'm sharing this with you because I don't want you systematically hollowed out by the things of this world. So we have to expose the lie. We have to expose the lie around sex. And so I'm going to give you just four of things that I think are lies. And so number one is sex is uh, an animalistic action. My friends, that's a lie. Now you may be wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me share this with you. Your feelings do not define who you are. And you're like, wait a second, what are you talking about? You know the feelings I'm talking about. We're talking about sex, people. You know the feelings. Those feelings are not to define who you are. We are not dogs. We are men and women. We are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I am not called to be a dog. I am called to be a child of God. And so that means that I will not be governed by my feelings and my instincts. And when I feel all... I say, no, because I'm a child of God. They're not intended to be animalistic. You were created in the image of God. My friends, you get this, it changes everything. Because see, what we want to do is always focus on the behavior. We want to focus on the action. We want to focus on the thing that the person is doing, you know, whatever. The point here is that you got to see, you got to go all the way back. If you want to help somebody that's struggling in sexual sin, you go all the way back to who they are. That's what you got to do. That's what I think that's the greatest argument you can have is who people are. God made you. He did not make you to do this. He made you to do this. And that's when we get it right. That's when we start. To that's why I have a problem. Some of you parents are going to get mad at me in just a second. Here it is. I don't understand why we teach our kids about the birds and the bees. Come with me now. If we don't want them to act like animals, why are we comparing them to animals? I think we should have the sons and daughters talk. Forget the birds and the bees. I don't care what the birds and the bees are doing. Let's have the sons and daughters talk. Come here. Come here, Joey. Come here, Jilly. I'm going to tell you about what it means to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. 
where you're not governed by your feelings, your passions. My friends, those things will lead you astray. Sex is not, or it's not a recreational activity either. I feel like it kind of is recreational nowadays, seems to be. It's not recreational. Matter of fact, the Bible says that, that when you join with someone in that act, that you become one flesh. I don't even know how to explain that because it's on a spiritual plane that I don't even get sometimes. But I know this, it's not intended to be recreational. And the thing that we treat as recreational actually ends up hurting us and the other person in massive ways, painful ways that God never intended for us to do. I'm just saying when we treat it like recreational, we forget that it's something deeper, that it's actually something very deep. It's something very spiritual, and we don't just get off the hook because we had some interaction and we thought it was recreational. Sometimes we think, and this is a lie, is that sex is an isolated event. You know what I'm talking about. It stays in the moment. I mean, matter of fact, I mean, Vegas has cashed in on this, Right? Whatever happens in Vegas is a horrible way to live. That's a horrible way to live because you know it doesn't stay in Vegas. If you do something in Vegas, it's coming with you. You get pregnant in Vegas, it's coming with you. You get an STD in Vegas, it's coming with you. True? We think it just stays there guys we're not dumb we know that we know it we know that's not true but sometimes what we do is we think it's just an isolated event it's just something i'm doing recreationally it's no big deal my friends it's a big deal last one is sex is it's just physical it's just physical no it's a spiritual thing you may not know this about you, but you're a triune being. And, and one of the things that you have in you is a spirit. And the spirit in you is the thing that has the capacity to contain a holy God. That's it. So you're a spirit being. And sometimes what we think is we're just kind of having this, this uh, uh, we're just earthly beings having this temporary spiritual experience. But in reality, we are spiritual beings having a temporary earthly experience. We are spiritual beings. And so when I connect with someone in this way, there is a spirit connection that the Bible describes as becoming one flesh. If you're one flesh, what happens when you pull that flesh apart? It rips. It tears. It hurts. It's painful. You with me? And some of us know what that feels like. Some of us have experienced that in our life. And if I asked you this question, if I asked you this question, if I had to do it over, most people would say to me, yeah, I would have avoided that one. And it's not, again, this isn't about feeling bad about my past. It's about just presenting the fact that it is real. This is a very real thing that we all deal with. And it's something that we have to understand how God set it up. Does that make sense? All right, I have a few scriptures I want to share on this matter, and then we'll get to overcoming the sexual strongholds. 
But I want to read something from 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 17. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And guys, my friends, I, I heard, a, I heard a, a, a preacher one time do a series on Corinth. And it said uh, something about um, doing ministry in a jacked up church. That was the name of the series. Because <laughs> Corinth was messed up. They had some messed up things going on, all right? And so Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he, and, he, and he starts this way, starting in verse 15. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Sometimes we don't know that. But, the, but Paul's trying to help us to see, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your body is a part of that. And then he says, Then, or shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? His answer is never. Now, I don't want to pick on prostitutes here today because I want to say if you've ever been in that situation, if that's been your lifestyle, I first and foremost want to say I'm so glad you're here because I believe God has a plan and a purpose for your life and whatever pain and hurt and, and whatever has come with that life, God has a plan and a, and a purpose for your life and so I'm glad you're here. But in this particular case, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and what was happening in Corinth where there's, was this temple prostitution. And so there were prostitutes that were a part of the religious experience. And so he's writing specifically with that and saying, Guys, you're sons and daughters of God. Why are you going to this temple and joining yourselves in that way? And he says, You shouldn't do this. He goes on, he says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? You with me? One flesh, he goes on. He says, for it is said, the two become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Did you notice the word unite? It was there three different times. And matter of fact, if you look at that word, you know what it means? It means like glue. To like glue yourself to something or someone. You ever had bad glue on you? Like gorilla glue? You ever put some gorilla glue on you? You ever put, like when I was a kid, it was super glue. They didn't even have Gorilla Glue then, but they had super glue, and it came in a little bitty bottle. That stuff would mess you up if you got it on you. Like I got it on my fingers one time, couldn't get, it, couldn't get them apart. And, and it, what happens is, is you end up trying to get them apart, but what can happen is it can rip your skin, can it? It's that powerful. The adhesive is that powerful. It can literally rip the skin off your flesh. And so the Bible is trying to give us a metaphor that makes sense to us because that's what's happening. When we join physically with someone outside of God's plan, that is what happens. And so why is this important? Well, the Bible says that you are his temple. Like I know sometimes we come to church and we think the building is the church is where it's God's house, right? And so God lives in the house and he hangs out in the house and whatever. And, that, and, and there is some truth to that in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the Bible defines it as you are the temple. God lives in you. You are the one that houses the very nature and presence of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I lived my life that way, there are probably a lot of things I wouldn't do. You know what I mean? I mean, as you look, as you think about it, it's like, I probably wouldn't go there. I mean, if, or do that or because I know who I am. I know the capacity that God has put in me. And you may not know that today, but I'm trying to get it through your wonderful skulls today in Jesus name that you are a child of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, that you are his temple. 
He has a plan and a purpose for your life. So when you go out there and you put stuff in your body or whatever it is you do, please keep in mind that you are that, is what God is trying to say. But then you're like, well, how do I do that? How do I keep from doing it? How do I not go back to this thing? How do I not keep going? You know, I love this. This is the best part. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. This is perfect. So someone calls me. So they come to pass. Pastor, I need some help. All right, I'm in. What do, you, what do we need? I'm really trying to not do this thing. I'm, not trying, I'm trying not to have sex outside of marriage or, you know, whatever it is. I'm trying not to do this thing. And I say, well, okay. If you get to a point where you feel like that's where you're at, you know, give me a call. Okay? Give me a call. So, so, so the person calls me and they said, hey, pastor, <laughs> I'm in a really bad place. Right? I'm in a bad place. I'm, I'm at this person's house and I, I'm in a bad place. What am I supposed to do? Look. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee. Run! That's what I'm going to say to you. Get out of the house. Run! You see how that fixes it? I mean, because you were all feeling it. Ooh, doggy. Run! So good. And if you run, go, go do a lap. Go run a mile, because you will run out of energy and you won't want to have sex anymore. I'm just saying. Guys, I love you. But I think it's so important we see what God's saying. Get out. Don't play with it. Don't mess around with it. Don't dabble in it. Don't put your toe in the water with it. He says, flee from sexual immorality. And that word, sexual immorality, is the word porneia, where we get the, where we get the word pornography. Let me explain what porneia is in the Greek so that you're perfectly clear as to what sexual immorality is. And it is not anything other than this. And that is that it is all sex outside of the bonds of marriage between one man, one woman, one marriage. That is what porneia is talking about. Sexual immorality is defined that way in the scriptures. I don't care what kind of theological gymnastics or biblical uh, gymnastics you want to do to come to some different definition, but that is what it means. And so often in our lives, we try to come up with ways and things that it doesn't mean. But I'm just telling you, friends, we are called to flee from anything that is outside of that. And then he goes on, he says, all other sin, all other sin a man or a woman commits are outside his or her body. But he who sins sexually sins against their own body. In other words, what he's saying is, is that it hurts you. It hurts you. And I don't want that. I hate it when people in my church hurt. Don't you? I mean, if we have any compassion whatsoever for one another, when somebody in the body is hurting, it hurts us. I don't want to see you hurt. Yet the Bible says, if we go this way, that's what happens. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Do you not, do you not know or do you not? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I like that. Because see, here's the thing. You'd be saying, why? Why is this a big deal? Why does it matter? Well, here's why it matters. is because it kills intimacy. 
If we ever want to experience the highest level of pleasure, we have to be able to enter into the highest level of intimacy, and we can't do that if we're hijacking the process. I want the highest. Now, some of us just kind of want, you know, I like mediocre intimacy. Nobody's saying I want mediocre intimacy. I want the highest form of intimacy is what the Bible says. And so so could, can I get some of that? Well, the way, the way I get that is I have to learn how to enter into intimacy so that I can experience the highest form of pleasure. And, and here's the thing. Real love is defined by a commitment to a person, not a feeling. I'm not an animal. I'm a child of God. And so real love is defined by the commitment. Matter of fact, one of the reasons pornography is so destructive is it replaces the person. And when you replace the human element, the person, it destroys intimacy. That's why people who are married today, who potentially are, are, are in situations where they're looking a lot at pornography, what happens is we think, oh, it's no big deal. It happens in a vacuum. It's never going to affect anything. No, no, no. It actually does affect something. It affects your ability to be intimate. And so eventually you're going to wake up one day and not want to have sex with the person that you're married to. Get that. So it's destructive. Now here, everybody take a breath. Right? Because I, I just threw a lot at you. And I don't, want you, I don't want you feeling down because we're about to go up. Right? But I think it's important we see what's real. Because if we don't see what's real, we can't fix it. If we don't know where we are, we don't know where we're going. So we got to deal with that. So just in general, let's deal with that. But now I want to talk about how we overcome. Amen? How we overcome. How we overcome. In order to overcome sexual strongholds in our life, here we go. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 7. And this is out of the Living Bible. It says, God wants you to be pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin. And then he says, for God has not called us to be dirty minded or full of lust, but to be holy and clean. That is what God wants. That is what God wants for you. That is what he wants for me. And these are four ways that I believe that we can move. We can move in that direction so that we can overcome the sexual strongholds in our life. Number one is we have to make a commitment to God's way. We have to make a commitment to God's way. Now, why is that important? Well, God's way is how you get God's results. If you do it his way, that's how you get those results. If you do it a different way, that's how you get those results. It's, it's, it's basic, right? It's idea. And so we have to make a commitment to God's way. I am not defined by my feelings. I am a child of God. And as a child of God, I am called to live into a certain idea, a certain way. And then listen to this in Isaiah 118. I love this. This passage is so good. He says, through, or though your sins are like scarlet, listen to this, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And what he's saying to you, listen, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, wherever, wherever, he's saying that all you have to do is say, God, I want you. God, I need you. God, I've messed it up. I need you. And what he says is, I'll come in and I'll take everything that was dirty, dark, messed up, uh, red with crimson. He's like, and I'm going to make it white as snow. Guys, 
That should make us excited because we've all probably messed up in this area. And the good news of God's grace is that, that this is God's way. This is his best way for us. Is that somehow I have a father, I have a savior that, 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 that I can come to. The Bible says that when I sin, because we're all going to sin, he says, if I sin, I, should, I, I have an advocate with the father through Jesus Christ who forgives me of my sins if I will confess them to him. That's what he said. So, so you can make it, you can make it God's way today. Not just yesterday, but today. Today's your day. You're like, you're here for a reason. Maybe you just came for this message. In Jesus' name, the Bible says you can start today to experience God's best in your relationships and in your sexuality. That's what he says. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. He says, therefore, come out from them and be separate, which is like a form of holiness, he's saying. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I, oh... Hold on, before I get to the next part. What he's saying to us is repent. Hashtag turn around in Jesus' name. That's what he's saying. Turn around. Right now. When? Now. Just do it. Okay, we can wait to the end. It's fine. But the point he's saying is now make the decision. And the result of that decision, here it comes. This is the best part. It makes me want to dance. He says, I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's what he says. So maybe you had a bad father. Maybe you've had that experience in your life. Maybe your father abused you. I don't know. But the Bible says if we'll bring him our things, if we'll bring him our filthy rags, if we'll bring him our mistakes and our sin, he says that he will become our father. And I'm telling you, I, your earthly dad may be a gem. But man, when you know God as father, it's a game changer. Your family may be great. But man, when you, when you get a part of the family of God and you know that you're a son and a daughter of the most high God that created the world and everything in it, whoo, that is a game changer. That's a game changer for you. All right. You guys excited about repenting in Jesus' name? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, yeah. But guys, look, here, it's very simple. We have to commit to do it his way. That's it. But if we don't do it his way, we'll experience it at that level. Number two, number two, for overcoming these sexual strongholds, number two, is I have to manage my mind. How many of us believe that in this day and age, it's hard to manage our minds? We are bombarded with all kinds of things. We are moving at such a pace technologically, uh, entertainment. I mean, it's all, and it's all right there. I mean, it's in your home, it's on your phone, it's everywhere. I mean, you can't go anywhere without being bombarded with information and things that in my mind sometimes often are contrary to God's plan. Did you know this? That the pornography industry, the porn industry, they have a greater income than the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB combined. Their profit margins, my friends, are massive. That's a lot of coin. That's a lot of money. If you think about the combined income of those four major, major sports organizations that the porn industry is making, so you don't think they're not invested? They're invested, my friends. 
They're invested in ruining us. Did you know on average that the average age of a young person today, average age that they're exposed to pornography is 10 and 11 years old? Average age. That's the world we live in, people. Parents, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant to these facts. Be aware. Because I'm just telling you, it's out there. And you're like, well, I've got a blocker. Well, your kid probably knows how to get rid of the blocker. He's smarter than you. You need to be having conversations. You need to be having conversations. And they don't have to be, you know, weird, creepy, you know, conversations. They just have to be honest conversations about what's real. Talk to your children. Find out what's going on in their lives. What are they dealing with? What have they seen? What haven't they seen? Open up that dialogue and never judge them. Just give them grace. Because what you're trying to do is establish a relationship where they'll talk to you. You want them to talk to you because it's out there. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you can't even turn on the, you'll be innocent watching a TV preacher and all of a sudden, you know, a commercial comes on and there, there's like a hamburger and it's a hamburger that some pretty girl is wanting you to eat. And, and so the, the marketing people are like, here, sex, look at it. And they're like, oh, and eat my hamburger. That's what they're doing. I mean, remember back in the days when you could watch Super Bowl Sunday and you could actually watch the commercials with your children? And nowadays it's all sex and it's like, oh, I got to turn that off. Oh, wait, there went Janice Jackson. And, and it, you know, it's like you can't do it. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> she had a malfunction <laughs> in her areas. You guys are funny. But guys, we've got to manage our minds. We've got to do this. We've got to cut some things off. We've got to stop doing this. We've got to stop. We've got to make sure that we're not being bombarded all the time. Because see, if you watch six hours or 12 hours of Game of Thrones, your mind is going to be affected. Because what I found is that people will watch 12 hours of Game of Thrones, but they'll have 30 minutes in the Bible. Which one you think is going to win? we got to be better if we ever want to overcome. Now, if you don't want to overcome, then keep on doing what you're doing. But God wants you to overcome. I believe that. Do you believe that? All right, so listen to this in Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Notice the thinking language. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. Could he say it any more clear? But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. I want you to have life and peace. And let me say this, guys. Everybody hear me, hear me, hear me. The struggle is real. Everybody, you got that? The struggle is real. There are people in this church right here, in these pews that are struggling Guys, as a church, we have to be a safe place for people to deal with those things. Because if we don't, they go out into the world and ask the world to help them deal with it. And you will always get bad advice. 
in that place. So we have to create a healthy environment. It has to be okay to say I'm struggling. It has to be okay, a safe place for me to be authentic and say, man, I am messed up right now. I need some help. And them not to be judged or cast aside or somehow put in the corner with the little dunce hat on. Do they do that anymore? That was old school teaching, right? That's old school teaching. They don't do that anymore. But you see my point? Because there's a shame cycle that the devil wants to keep us all in. And that shame cycle is from the enemy. And it is killing us. All of us in this room, whether you know it or not, are motivated by shame. And what you have to do is figure out where is shame motivating me because it's the thing that will kill me. Because see, God wants to free you from the shame cycle. He wants to free you from it. Now, sometimes you feel guilty, but guilt is there to help you feel convicted so that you can get healed. Shame is there by the devil to make you feel like a worm so that you feel condemned. That's, and, and it all goes back to the fall. I'm telling you, I'm going to preach a whole series on this called Coming Home in September. You got to be here. It's going to be good. Promise. It'll set you free too. There's all kinds of freedom in this place. (sighs) All right, number three. Number three, almost done. Maintain healthy relationships. See, the Bible says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. You have to hear this. All right, young ladies. uh, Young ladies in the room, just hear me for a second. I love you. As your pastor, I love you. I want you to be successful. But I'm going to say something to you. If you're dating somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, pull out your phone. In Jesus' name, pull it out. No, seriously, pull it out. It's okay. I'm going to give you what to write. Come on. Dear so-and-so, I've enjoyed our time. But obviously, you do not love Jesus. That is not okay. I do hope that someday you come into a relationship with Jesus. But at this point, I don't see it. So I have to break up with you. In Jesus' name, bye. (laughs) Send. Send the text. Send the text. Send the text in Jesus' name. And then, if, and then if the person responds and says, what's this about? Say, you need to talk to my pastor. Because I will have the conversation. We don't have any business messing around that way. We just don't, my friends. We have to make sure. And let me say this to you men in the room. Young men. I'm about to give it. I'm about to give you everything I got. Some of you young men need to grow up. You need to grow up. You need to quit taking the hearts of young ladies and doing destructive things with it. Men, we got to be better. We got to be godly men. We got to be men of God that, that honor and cherish women. And if you're in a situation where you, are, where you are shoplifting, where you are taking things that are not yours, then you need to get that right. And you need to say, I'm sorry, forgive me, and I will not ever do that again. In Jesus' name. And ask that young lady's forgiveness. Come on. Is that okay, Carl? That's what I'm saying. I love you guys. I love you.
James 5, 16 says, make it your common practice. Make it your common practice to get together. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Here's the thing. The Bible, this is one of the most curious passages in Scripture because it says something that we don't expect. Because what we expect it to say is that somehow I'm going to get forgiven, uh, but it says I'll be healed. If I confess, I'll be healed. It doesn't say if I confess, I'll, be sa- or, uh, I'll get forgiven. Do you notice that? Because see, here's the difference, is that I go to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I am so sorry for what I've done. I messed up. Will you forgive me, right? Because he wants that. He wants me to say that. And he will say, yes, son, I forgive you for what you've done. Clear, right? But then in the Bible it says that I need to confess my sins to someone else and pray, and as a result, I'll be healed. Isn't that interesting? Because normally you think, well, I just ask forgiveness, I'm healed. Mm -mm -mm. The Bible says that I actually confess it to someone else. And in that process of confession, what happens is the thing that had hold of me no longer has hold of me because it goes from the darkness to the light. And wherever the light is, right, wherever the light is, there's healing. Wherever the light is, it exposes the darkness. Wherever the light is, sin has to flee. That's what the Bible says. And so my point is, is that what happens is you confess, and then it's through that confessing process that you're not only forgiven by Jesus, but you're healed as you bring it into the light. That's why we have to have healthy relationships. That's why we have to have safe places where we can say, I'm struggling. And I just want to say to you, if you're thinking about not doing a life group this semester, please reconsider. Because God wants to meet you there. We have set this semester for freedom, 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 freedom. I want to get to Christmas, and we're going to have Christmas parties. We're going to call them freedom Christmas parties. Because everybody's free. In Jesus' name. Come on. All right. All right. Last one. I'm done. You guys are like tired. I can see it. Last one. Number four, magnify God's plan in your life. Magnify God's plan. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has promises that he wants you to grab hold of. And listen to this. Listen to this. He says, with promises like this to put, (laughs) to pull us on. Look at that. Promises like this to pull us on. Dear friends, let us make a clean break with everything that defiles and distracts us, anything that's defiling and distracting, I'm going to break it off with the divine power that comes from Jesus, both within and without. So whether it's on the outside, on the inside, I am breaking free. Let me make, look at this, let us make our entire life fit and holy temples for the worship of God. Guys, you're not losing when you give up this stuff. When you say, I'm out, I'm not doing this anymore. You're not losing. You're winning. You are winning because, see, God is delivering. God is delivering you to something, not just from something. When you let go of that stuff, he's delivering you to something. And that something is much more beautiful than what you're experiencing. It is the highest level of intimacy when we do it God's way. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your word. 
I thank you for what it teaches us. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just move in this room. God, I feel, I feel people. I feel them. They're, they're just, some of them are struggling because they want to, they want to, they, they feel like the weight is coming down on them. They feel burdened by their sin. I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you feel weighted down by your sin, if you feel weighted down by some area of your life sexually that is not right with God, I want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that that feeling would be broken off their lives. I ask in Jesus' name that it would be broken off. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that freedom would start to come in. Hear God say to you, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. Just say to him, say, God, would you forgive me? Forgive me for the things I've done. I need your help. And hear God say, son, I forgive you. Daughter, I forgive you. I love you. Come to me. Come to me. And I'm going to help you. And see him just grab hold of you. Because he loves you so much. Church, I know that some of us in the room, we haven't settled the relationship. And so we may even be trying to get freedom without the relationship. And, and, and it's just not possible, guys, because what happens is we end up trying to do it on our own. We need him. We need his power. And the only way we get it is we finally surrender our life to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came into this world. He went to a cross and he died on that cross for a reason. And you're that reason. It's purpose. Because he wanted to set us free. He wanted to save us. He wanted to build a bridge back to God. That's all true. But you have to accept it. And the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will come in and he will save you. And he will give you the power you need. And so if you haven't settled that today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking around. I don't want to point you out. I just want to be able to pray for you. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, in faith, on the count of three, if you just raise your hand up, I want to be able to pray for you. One, two, three. Go ahead. God bless you. Good. Anybody else? Raise your hand up. Go ahead. Good. Good. Good job. Good job. Good job. Anybody else? So proud of you takes courage to do that. Church, go ahead and put your hands down. Church, let's all pray together. We're all praying this prayer together so no one feels kind of left out. And, and so if you did raise your hand, just, just pray this prayer. God, would you forgive me? Will you be my Savior? Will you be my Lord? Will you be my father? Change me from the inside out. Give me salvation. Give me freedom. Give me purpose. Help me to know what I'm supposed to do next. God, I love you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Guys, can we celebrate those that made decisions today? Come on. It's good. Yeah. We're so excited about those.